Blame never affirms. It assaults. It never restores. It wounds. It never solves. It complicates. Blame never unites. It separates. It never smiles. It always frowns. You see, blame never forgives. It always rejects. And it never forgets. It always remembers. Why? Because blame never builds. It always destroys. And it's not until you and I stop all the blame that we will start enjoying the health and the happiness that God has called us to enjoy. He said, I have come that you might have life and you might have that more abundantly. But the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. If he can get you to not forgive, he can steal your victory, he can kill your life, and he can destroy eternity. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. AZ.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your Bibles uh, open them this morning, we're going to have the scriptures on the screen. But I really do encourage you, bring your own Bible with you. Thank you. Bring your own Bible with you. That way, that way you can find things in the Bible. A lot of people say, Pastor, how do you know the Bible? I mean, you quote scriptures. I mean, it's like you don't, it's like you don't know where there, where there isn't anything. You know what? Well, no, I don't. I just know where to find it all. And let me give you a little secret here. It's not really a secret, but it's something that if you will do it, there's a lot of times, thank you, there's a lot of times and I'm looking for something in the Bible and I don't remember where it's at. All I know is this, it's in the book of Joshua. And because I've read it and I've found it, chances are I've marked it. Now maybe I haven't marked it physically, but I've marked it mentally. I know it's somewhere in the middle of Joshua on the left-hand side of the page. And it's about the middle of the left-hand side. You see why it's important to look in your own Bible? It becomes a part of you. And when things are needed, when you need Scripture, you can usually go and find it. Today is the last day of the series on offense that I've been teaching, and the title of today's message is To Let Go, We Must Hold On. This is not going to be, and I want to forewarn you, I want you to listen to me, please. This is not going to be the easiest or the most encouraging message I've ever preached. 
Why? Because our eternal souls are at stake. If you will catch a hold of this, this will be one of the most transforming messages you will ever hear. How many have ever heard the Lord's Prayer? I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Out of Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to the disciples. Now, if I would have been in the canonization of the Bible when they put all the stuff together, I think I would have actually called this the disciples' prayer because Jesus was teaching them how to pray. Over in the book of Acts, we actually find the Lord's Prayer where Jesus is actually praying for his disciples. But if you know it, I want you to read it with me. Our Father, well, this is the NIV. Uh, The King James is what most of us know. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. But we're going to read it out of the NIV, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then we can throw in there, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And everybody said, now I want to take you to Matthew 6 and read the entire Lord's Prayer. Starting with the fifth verse, he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. But I tell you the truth, they've already received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. And he will see what you do in secret and will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not be like the babbling pagans. For they think if they say a lot, that people are going to notice. And they're going to think they're super and spiritual and all that kind of stuff. That I'm reading that in there, folks. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Look at me. Prayer is not about us. Prayer is about God. He already knows what we need. He just wants us to know that we realize we need Him. That's why prayer is not about us. Prayer is about God. Am I making sense? And then we have the the famous Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But that's not where it starts. How many in your Bible, there the fifth verse starts out with the topic prayer? How many have that in your Bible? You have it sectioned off. And then it goes down to the 15th verse, and it has another subtitle called Fasting. Okay, a lot of our Bibles have those breakdowns. Well, the Bible was not written in chapter and verse. The Bible was written as letters. It was written as continual uh, 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 correspondence to people. We are the ones that segregated it into chapter and verse so we could find things easier. 
Well, when they did that, when they separated it, they tried to get it into content. What is the Lord dealing with? We love the Lord's Prayer, but we forget it's not about us, it's about Him. The first part of the whole passage there on this Lord's Prayer is say, don't get religious about it. Don't be hypocritical about it. Don't just babble and say words that don't mean anything. Understand what you're doing. It's about your relationship with God. Am I making sense? This isn't in your notes, so don't go trying to find it. This is something I was preparing last night, and God said, I want you to do the Lord's Prayer. I said, okay. See, I have that thing with God. He says, and I do. Pretty simple, okay? And then God said, and don't let him forget the most important part. And I said, Lord, what is that? He said, verse 14 and 15. I want you to look at me before you look at that verse. Understand if you don't do these two verses, the rest of us makes no difference. You're just a babbling hypocrite. You're just a religious Pharisee. Pastor, that's hard. I love you. Get over it. Go ahead, smile at me. How am I doing, Nora? Doing okay? Okay, good, good. Gabriel, okay? Good. Think about it, ladies and gentlemen. If we don't do the last two, and I'll go even a step further, you're not even saved. You say, you judging me? No. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. Let's look at it on the screen. If you forgive men when they sin against you, I will forgive you. But if you will not forgive men, I will not forgive you. Is everybody okay with me? Are you okay? This is not going to be the easiest message I've ever preached. But it'll transform your life if you realize this whole series is not about the one that hurts you. It's about the one that's been hurt. And if you and I don't deal with it, it's our eternal destiny at stake, not theirs. You say, well, you mean they're going to go? I don't have a clue what's going to happen to them. Remember, it's about you and him, not them. Are, are, Are we okay? Okay, are you guys ready to jump into this today? Why do we have such a hard time with offense? Very simply, and it's on the screen, it's because God's justice is offensive. See, God's ways and our ways are not the same ways. And God said, you don't have the right to get offended. He said, I took the offense at Calvary. I nailed it to the tree. I did what I didn't ask anybody to do. So you know what happened to our right? This is why the Bible is full of passages that say, love those that hate you. Bless those that despitefully persecute you. Do good to those 
that take advantage of you. Ladies and gentlemen, this pastor loves his people, God's people, because you're not my people, you're his people. I just happen to have the privilege of being called pastor to you. And I love you so much that I would rather offend you into heaven than to pacify you into hell. That's why I will preach today's message. Because I understand verse 14 and 15. It's not about what they do to me. It's about what I do to him when I won't forgive them. Are you with me? Are we okay this morning? I'm not going to keep you long, but I am going to dig as deep into your hearts as I possibly can. Do I have your permission? Why do we have such a hard time with God's offense? Because God's justice is offensive. Let me explain. We have Brandon up here as a, a, a law enforcement officer in, here in flight. He could give me a ticket, and in theory, I could go to court and beat the ticket. All he has to do is not show up, and I, and I win. Or he comes, and my grievance is better than his justice, if you will. You see, in the world system that we live in, we can cop a plea. We can plea bargain. We might be able to move on the emotions of the judge or the emotions of the, church, of the, of the council or, or something like that. But, but ladies and gentlemen, in God's justice system, there is no plea bargain. You're either innocent or guilty. Without the blood of Jesus, you're guilty. But by the grace of God and what was done at Calvary, ladies and gentlemen, the blood was shed and he made you innocent. But we have to continue in that innocence. There is no plea bargain. You know why? Because God said, I'm not only looking at what's happening around you, I'm not only looking at the offense, I'm looking at the thoughts and the intentions that are not visible. And you and I cannot escape that justice. He is an unwielding judge. And we know that we're guilty. Look at somebody and say, I'm going to like today's message. The guilt is only because we choose not to do 14 and 15. If you do 14 and 15, you're as innocent as the pure driven snow. Can you say amen? Over the past few weeks, we've talked about offense. And I want to just break it down into three simple categories. Number one, the conflict that we deal with in offense. You see, folks, we really do want everybody else to be wrong when things happen. We want to be the victim we want to be able to sit back and say well pastor you don't understand this is why God's justice is so offensive God does understand he took the price on Calvary he understands fully and we're still trying to find a loophole don't look at me like that you know what I'm talking about we're trying to somehow get away with this when God says the soul 
that sins will die. And the more you sin, the more you die until one day the heart gets so hard that we can't even be touched by God anymore. Not because he's not touching, but because we're not feeling. Because we spent so much time trying to blame everybody else. Jesus, when he said those famous nine words on Calvary, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know what? He meant it. It's good for you and I to learn to forgive. Because in light of eternity, they don't know what they're doing. See, here's the societal impasse, ladies and gentlemen. Society kind of puts us in the same category as a computer. If we are programmed wrong, if we are raised wrong, then we're going to act wrong. If we're raised right, we're going to act right. There were two sons of a very prominent, uh, very well-to-do, very uh, wealthy man. One son became very successful, and the other son became a, vag- a vagrant, a, a, a vagabond, a, I mean, everything. You know, they asked the two sons what happened in their life that made them turn out the way they did. Did you know both of them blamed their father? How's that happen? One turned out massively successful. The other one was on the streets. And they both blamed the father. Can I tell you why? Look at me, folks. It had nothing to do with the father. It had to do with the decisions of their life. It had to do with the choices that they made. You see, we live in what I like to call the I can't help myself society. And I call this what I'm talking about, the I can't help myself defense for offense. And let me just get a little, a little irritating. I have that gift in my life. You hear the amens sweeping? Yeah, yeah. Homosexuals say, I was born this way. Alcoholism, they are now calling it an hereditary problem. Child molesters, they just need to be understood, not punished. And murderers are simply maladjusted to society. You see, it's all about the way they were raised or what they were brought up in or how they were programmed. Society doesn't want to look at the fact that maybe, just maybe, it has something to do with the decisions that they made. You see, over the last 30-something years of pastoring, I've made a pastoral discovery. Most have become the result of their choices. I say most because there literally are people that do have chemical imbalances. There are people that really have uh, 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 physiological imbalances and and psychiatric imbalances. They need therapy and counseling. There really are people like that. But there are too many, I believe, that would rather prefer to blame everything on someone else than to take responsibility for their life. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Now, if this doesn't affect you, just turn the channel. That's fine. Put your headphones on. But I want to ask you a simple question. What happened to things being the result or the consequence of a choice? What happened to that, ladies and gentlemen? What happened to the fact that if you and I 
cross the road in oncoming traffic and you get hit, it's not the guy driving the car's fault. What do you mean? He should have been doing 65. You're right. He should have been doing 75. It was a freeway. Why is it when the guy goes to, boy, I'm a metal. Oh, Lord, help me. When the guy goes to the bar, gets drunk, and leaves the bar, and gets in an accident and kills somebody, why do they sue the bar? Oh, the bar was responsible for telling me how much I can drink. Really? Jimmy, am I, am I meddling too much back there? Am I doing okay? Okay, okay. And I could go in example after example after example, but why is it everybody else's fault? Robert Franklin, can you tell me? Isn't it somewhere in this code of conduct in this world that if I stick my hand in fire, I'm going to get burned, and it's not the fire's fault? Not at all. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is when we do make decisions in our lives, we can deal with the consequences of those decisions. Let me take you God's word. Hebrews chapter 11. Let me talk to you about Moses. Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a moment. Are you with me? Moses made... A decision. Joshua 24. He's living amongst a bunch of people who do not want to serve God, and they're supposed to be people of God. He said, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then make a decision who you're going to serve. If you want to serve them, serve them. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. You see, Joshua made a decision. But look at here is the problem. Proverbs 18 says when a person gets offended, when a person gets hurt, when a person gets whatever taken advantage of, they get offended. And it says an offended person, an offended friend, is harder to win back than a fortified city. When people argue, when people have these irritations between them, it separates them even worse than a locked gate in a fortified city or bars in a prison. He said, wise words satisfy like a good meal. When you think through these things and you start to deal with them, listen to what it says, the tongue can bring death or the tongue can bring life. Very simply. Don't worry about the talking in the church. Listen to the message. You hear what I'm saying? The tongue can bring death or life. Human choice is a powerful factor, and our life is about choice. Our life is about choice. I was talking about the fact that we want to blame everybody else. We won't blame mom and dad. We won't blame brothers and sisters. We won't blame circumstance. We won't blame situation. But you know what the scripture says in Jeremiah 17? It says the heart is wicked above everything. Our heart, your heart, my heart. I would rather be a victim 
of an issue and blame someone else or something else than say, what did I do? Where was my part of this? Am I making sense? Like I said, this is not going to be the easiest message, but if we grab it, it'll deliver us and set us free. Decisions have to be made if you and I are going to overcome offenses. In Genesis 28, the Bible says Jacob vowed a vow. In Daniel chapter 1, it says Daniel purposed in his heart. In Luke chapter 9, it says Jesus set his face like flint. In 1 Corinthians 2, the Bible says that Paul decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know why I make the statement that this is a very difficult message? Because there's people here today. I don't want to be blamed for what I did. I don't want to be guilty. I don't want to be responsible. How many here like it being somebody else's fault? It's easy. The problem is if I keep blaming them, I'll never get close to him. Are you with me? You see, the Lord's Prayer is not just the Our Father which art in heaven. It is you forgive or I don't forgive. Accepting responsibility is the most crucial aspect of overcoming offense. It's not that the one that did the wrong should not have done the wrong. It is that you and I should purpose to not allow that fence, that offense, to now put us in a fence of prison, if you will. Making a mistake and repenting hurts God a whole lot less than denying a mistake and excusing our life. We choose to win or to lose. In Proverbs 28, it tells us, if we'll not admit mistakes, we will not be victorious. Look what it says. If you decide to conceal a sin, you will not prosper. But if we confess, we receive mercy. I read a book years ago, and the author of the book was, was June Hunt. And I, couldn't, I can't remember the title of the book uh, because I don't have the book anymore, but she was a, 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 a woman psychologist and did some great, great work. But she talked about a man that she used to counsel. And she made some very profound statements in this book that I want to bring out today. She said there was a man whose name was Bill who refused to forgive his ex-wife. This refusal to forgive blocked his own ability to receive forgiveness, and he even knew it. He didn't care. She's done so much bad, I don't care. When she was confronting Bill about his choice of unforgiveness and the eternal risk that he took, he still said, I won't forgive her for what she's done. And he reiterated a litany of offenses. And listen to what she told Bill, which I want to share this morning. She said, Bill, being an authentic Christian means receiving Jesus Christ 
as Savior and Lord. The Bible says, believe in, that word believe in or that phrase means to rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then she continues, said, Bill, if Jesus Christ is truly your Lord, that means he is your master, your ruler, your owner, and you are to yield to his will. If he says forgive, you have to be willing to forgive. If he's your Lord. If you refuse to forgive, you know what you are? You are Lord. And he is not. Are you with me? Bill quickly responded, said, I can't. There's nothing that anyone could ever say that would cause me to forgive her. And then she reiterated, she said, Bill, understand, God will never ask you to do anything that he won't give you the power to do. Look at me, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care what has happened in your past. I don't care how you've been hurt. I don't care what has gone. I do care, but I don't care so much that it keeps you out of heaven. I'm not going to take your offense and justify and qualify and rationalize. I'm going to say the same thing June said, which is the same thing the Bible says. If you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how much you fast. I don't care how much you tithe. I don't care how much you go to church. I don't care how good you think you are. God said, if I'm going to be Lord, we do it his way. Well, the story ends and Bill went away, carrying a bulging bag of bitterness. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, that's what unforgiveness produces, bitterness. The Bible says it's a root that begins to grow up inside of us. And even today, we still blame that person, that situation, that circumstance. Instead of looking in the mirror and saying, why am I letting this affect my life now? Why am I letting this affect my life now? It's a choice. Very much so. It's not popular preaching, but it's eternal forgiveness that we seek. People are going to do things. Things are going to happen. But if I choose not to get over it, I will go under it, and it'll get over me. Blame never affirms, it assaults, it never restores, it wounds, it never solves, it complicates. Blame never unites, it separates, it never smiles, it always frowns. You see, blame never forgives, it always rejects, and it never forgets, it always remembers. Why? Because blame never builds, it always 
destroys. And it's not until you and I stop all the blame that we will start enjoying the health and the happiness that God has called us to enjoy. He said, I have come that you might have life and you might have that more abundantly. But the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. If he can get you to not forgive, he can steal your victory, he can kill your life, and he can destroy eternity. It's a choice. There's a little saying that I like to use. You have to admit it, quit it, and by God's grace, forget it. Secondly, we see the conflict. Let me talk about the real cause. Are you guys okay? I was going to install seatbelts to keep this road a little less rocky, but I didn't do that today, Don. We're good, okay? The real cause of offense, and I want you to look at me. Doesn't matter what happened, folks. You have to accept your responsibility. You see, I didn't do anything wrong. Yes, you did. You accepted the wrong. And now you're offended. Think about Jesus on Calvary. Forget Calvary. Let's think about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Forget the garden. Let's think about Jesus with 12 ornery, hard-headed, stubborn, irritating disciples. How many times did he say, How long do I have to be with you before this goes through your head? How long? I mean, just think about it. Remember James and John, the sons of thunder? Anybody remember James and John? Jesus is going someplace, and the city did not want Jesus to come in. James and John got offended. They said, Lord, You want us to call down fire from heaven? We can smoke them. Turn them into crispy critters. Hey, John. Get them. What did Jesus say? You don't know what spirit you're of. James and John, two of his top disciples. Please. If we don't accept responsibility, I don't care what they did. If I don't own this, why? Because I took offense, I'm now a part of it. And I can blame Tabitha all I want to. I can walk over here and say, it's all Jerry's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Grab the wrong one in that. (laughs) It's pretty tough when the wife chimes in. Yeah! (laughs) When I get offended, the real problem is I want to get back out of them. 
I want to return fire. I want vindication. Okay, so I'm only talking about me. It doesn't apply to anybody in this building. You know what I have to do? Estella, you know what I have to do? I have to say, God, forgive him. Forgive me. You see, the real cause is I don't want to accept responsibility. I don't want it to be my fault. I don't want my part to be any of it. They did it. They're guilty. They're the ones that need judgment. Oh, the offense of God's justice. How many are glad you came to church today? Good. Offense is as common as waking up in the morning. You and I have to accept the fact that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when offense happens. That way, when it does happen, Eric Russler, I'm not caught off guard. Isn't that the way it should be? When the devil does something and he uses you or somebody else to do it, why do I let it bother me? I try really hard not to. Because the only responsibility I want is to say, Lord, forgive him. Help him. You see, we must accept that life is not going to deal with us the best hand. Things are not always going to go in our favor. This is not a negative confession. It is practical reality. We're not to base life on likes and dislikes. We are to base life on faith. This is the basis of Christian fact. It is understood that we're going to go through, and I love the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 4. He said we're going to go through light afflictions. They're going to work a far more exceeding and eternal weight of good. In Luke 17, the Bible says offenses are going to come. Let God deal with the offender and don't let yourself be offended. Can you say amen? Amen. If we do not face offense and accept the responsibility of accepting the offense, we have a bigger problem. And that problem now becomes God. Matthew 18 said that your brother sins against you. Go, talk to him about it. Man, if I could just get people in church to do that. Somebody irritates you, go talk to them. Don't go cuss them out either. Oh, I'm sorry, we're in church, aren't we? That wouldn't happen in church. I know some of the best Christians are the best cussers I've ever met. And I'm thinking, something about that language tells me we've got a problem. But I'll just leave that with you. Okay, okay. okay. I get these thoughts out of my head real quick. I could go south really bad right now, and I'm not going to do it. Peter came to, Peter didn't like God's justice in this thing. He said, if your brother sins against you, go deal with it. Go talk to him. Just the two of you. Get it worked out. And Peter came up to him and said, well, what if he does it again? See, aren't that just like us? Aren't that just like us? <laughs> that good English. Isn't that just like us? Oh, I'll forgive him this time, but bless God if they do it again. 
come on, look at me like that. Look like a bunch of frogs in a hailstorm batting your eyes at me. Lord, help this feeble-minded preacher. God, help. And then Peter goes and said, Lord, how many times do I have to do this? Do I have to do this seven times? Because that was the Jewish law. What did Jesus say? No, he said 70 times seven. You say, well, pastor, I'm not good at math, but I'm pretty good. That's 490 times. What do I do then? How many know that Jesus will say times seven? How can we ever not forgive concerning what Jesus did? Luke 17 says, watch yourselves. If your brother sins against him, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and comes back and says, I, please forgive me seven times a day, forgive him seven times a day. Let me wrap this up and I want to give you the cure for offense because I want to pray for people. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm talking about today is not easy. And there's some of you that are offended at this message. And that's okay. Because I know that God will use this to grow us. What I'm preaching to you this morning is stuff that I had to learn as a pastor. If you ever want to be offended, pastor a church. Like I said, forget Calvary. Forget Gethsemane. Just try to pastor those 12 disciples. The cure of offense is quickly and boldly bring it to God. Quickly and boldly bring it to God. And Hebrews 4 says that we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It's not in your notes, folks, but turn your Bible there. You'll see it. We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities or our offenses but was in every area tempted the exact same way. He went through all the same stuff. And he said, because of that, we can boldly come to his throne to obtain mercy and find grace to help. That word grace is God's power at operation in you and me. He'll never ask you to do anything he won't give you the power to do that we can boldly come to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy. He said, I'll take care of your responsibility. I'll heal you. And then I'll give you the grace, the ability to let it go. See, this is what God's promise is. The cure for offense is get it to God. Freedom only comes when we're willing to face the fact that all have sinned, including the person sitting in your chair. When we cover a sin, one man said, we really sin twice. And a person deceived 
cannot be free. You say, Pastor, can you say that in English? Yes. When we choose not to forgive because we think it's their fault, we're the one deceived. Because we're living with the bitterness. We're living with the unforgiveness. We're living with the offense. When we choose not to face the truth, we open the door to a host of problems. And we begin to walk around with a chip on our shoulders. Now let me bring it into the church. Because it's worse than the church. You begin to not trust any Christian because they're all the same. They're all hypocrites. They're all this. They're all that. And can I tell you something? You're right. You say, I don't go to church because it's just full of hypocrites. You know what I tell people when they tell me that? I say, you're right. Join us. We need another one. We're all trying to do better. We're all trying to grow. We're all trying to apply God's word to our life. Said Proverbs 28, 14, blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but the one who hardens his heart will fall in trouble. The one who won't forgive, the one who remains in bitterness will fall into trouble, which is why we desperately need to let it go. Repentance is the only cure for this deadly disease. We have to cast down those lying thoughts that control the way our th- that we think. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, Cast down imagination and every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. And then come to the place that the adulterous woman came to in John chapter 8, when Jesus, she was asked, or Jesus was asked by her, she said, Lord, do you condemn me? He said, No, I'm not, I'm not here to condemn you. Just don't do it anymore. Don't do it anymore. The Bible says we must keep our bodies under subjection. To be the victim or to be the victor is a choice that each one of us have to make every single day of our life. There are people in this room today, and I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. We're going to have our altar team come because I want today to be a day of deliverance, a day of victory, a day of eternal destiny renewed. But it will only come when you say, God, I forgive. I forgive. A pastor, it's just so hard to forget. Forgiving and forgetting have nothing to do with each other. You may take the memory to your grave. But the memory you'll take to your grave is the memory that God, through you, you made me strong enough to let it go. Jesus did everything for us then. He does everything for us now. And he will be there for us always. John chapter 8 says it this way. Who the Son sets free is free. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. 
I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. We are